Well, all right, let's open up our Bibles to the book of 2 Peter as we arrive for the first time here in chapter 2. And we want to cover now this morning the first three verses here. You know, every once in a while, the church, and by that I mean the church in the United States, we seem to go through a, a season of um, where there's a wind of end times fever that just kind of blows through the church. And it seems that there are these seasons that kind of come and go where we get really focused on the second coming of Christ. And usually that comes on the heels of a lot of media stories about, you know, microchips being implanted in us and a cashless society and all of this stuff. And, and really, the one true sign as far as the nearness of the second coming of Christ really has to do with the subject matter of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Because you remember that as Jesus was asked by the disciples concerning the signs of his parousia, the signs of his arrival, you remember that the sign that Christ kept coming back to was spiritual deception, that there are going to be many false teachers and they will deceive many, and Christ kept coming back to that. You remember that that was the message of Paul as he was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says to him, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, the New American Standard says, but the Spirit explicitly says, the Passion Translation says the Holy Spirit has explicitly revealed, the Modern English Translation says, the Spirit clearly says, the Amplified says, the Spirit explicitly and unmistakably declares. So Paul is saying to Timothy, one thing, if I have ever heard the Holy Spirit speak, one thing I know with absolute certainty, this is what he has communicated, that look, the farther we get down the timeline and the closer we get to the coming of Christ, the more we are going to see an amping up of false teachers and unhealthy teaching within the church. Now, as we come to 2 Peter chapter 2, this is going to be the, the total focus of this chapter, and it's also going to be a part of the focus of, of chapter 3. This is the main subject that Peter wants to get to in his writing. Now, here's a fascinating thing. As we go through chapter 2, there, there are no commandments. We are not being told anything here. There are no imperatives so if he's not telling us to do anything, why in the world did he write chapter 2 and part of chapter 3 in the first place? Well, I think for two reasons. I think, number one, he is revealing to us what is going to be the fate, the terrible fate of not only the false teacher, but the ones that follow the false teacher. If you are following a false prophet, you are going to suffer the doom of the false prophet. The second reason why I think that he is writing this is that he is giving us an understanding of what we need to be alerted to. I believe that he is giving us a description that this is what a church needs to be on the lookout for. You know, the last what, five or six months, not only our news, but news around the world has just been consumed by the virus. Now, the Bible tells us that our bodies have been fearfully and wonderfully made. What a machine your human body is. When an invader gets inside your body like a virus, 
the body immediately detects there is something here that does not belong here. It needs to be killed and it needs to be removed. After it is identified, what it begins to do, one of the ways that it destroys the invader is by the production of antibodies. Now, the interesting thing is that the antibody has to be in the right shape in order to attach itself to the virus. Once it's able to attach itself to the virus, then the killing process and the removal from the body, that whole process then begins. So from the time that the virus enters the body, until the body has figured out what is the right antibody that will kill this thing, well, you're, you're sick and you're getting sicker. And of course, the whole race is for the body to figure out what the right antibody is before the virus grows so strong within the body that it kills the body. So it's a race between either killing it or it killing you. And eventually, the body will produce the right-shaped antibody that will attach itself, and that then begins the killing process. Now, the interesting thing is, is that once it has been destroyed, you have memory cells. And these memory cells remember, hey, if that guy ever shows up again, we don't waste a lot of time trying to figure out what kills it. We remember what kills it, and we immediately begin to produce that kind of antibody. Now, when the doctor gives you a vaccine, what he or she is doing is giving you a weakened version of the invader or a dead version of the invader. There's a balance. They don't want to give you so much of the invader that it makes you sick, but they want to give you enough of the invader to heighten and alert the immune system so it begins to figure out how to kill this thing. And once it figures out how to kill that thing, well, then it goes into those memory cells and it remembers next time, should this guy show up, this is what needs to be produced in order to kill this guy. What we have in 2 Peter chapter 2 is that this is Peter's vaccine that he is giving to the body of Christ so that we will remember this is what an invader looks like and this is what needs to be killed in our midst. Now look, I know that there are passages of Scripture that we just love to read and we love to hear read. There are passages in Scripture that we just love to teach and we love to hear taught. This is not one of these passages. This is, this is a hard passage. This, this is a father telling us that there are things that are not to be messed around with. You don't play with these things. These things are deadly serious. John, John Ryle, he writes, Controversy in religion is a hateful thing. It's hard enough to fight the devil, the world, and the flesh without private differences in our own camp. But there is one thing which is worse than controversy, and that is false doctrine tolerated, allowed, and permitted without protest. Three things there are which men never ought to trifle with, a little poison, a little sin, a little false doctrine. And this is what Peter now is alerting us to. There are issues that are so serious, they need to be identified, and they need to be destroyed, and they need to be removed from your congregation, or they will end up destroying your congregation. Now, if imagine somebody comes in 
a jihadist comes in this morning wearing a suicide vest and they're yelling Allah Akbar or some such thing and then they blow themselves up and, and they, they kill a number of us and wound so many more. Our opinion of that individual, an opinion that I would share with you, is that's an awful human being. That's terrible that you would kill innocent people for crying out loud. Now, as bad as that is, what is worse, a jihadist coming in here and killing our body or a false teacher, a false prophet coming in our midst and removing us from faith in Christ? Which is worse, somebody that would kill our body or somebody that would destroy our soul? This is why John MacArthur said, nothing is more wicked than for someone to claim to speak for God to the salvation of souls when in reality he is speaking for Satan to the damnation of souls. And so we're going to take our time going through this chapter as Peter is going to be identifying for us what it is that we need to be on the lookout for as a congregation. Now, let's notice how he starts this out in verse 1 by saying this, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves Swift destruction. So he's saying that as God's people in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, even as they had false prophets in their midst, so now the New Testament people of the Lord, the church, he says here that we're going to have false teachers among us. Now, notice that he mentions that word twice now. They were among the Israelis, and they are also going to be among us. Now, this is the same terminology you remember that the Apostle Paul used when he was sharing with the leadership at the church of the church in Ephesus. He said to those elders, he said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in, notice, among you, not sparing the flock from among your own selves. Men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So we have to understand that the real enemy, and I know that we're, you know, we're always looking outside the church walls for the enemy, but really the most devastating enemy is not the one that is outside the church, but rather it's the one that is inside the church. Now you remember here Paul uses this terminology that there are these savage wolves, same terminology the Lord Jesus Christ used, that they're going to come in with sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are these savage wolves. And we have those who are giving the appearance that they are sheep, but actually they are wolves. Now, it has been my experience that there are three types of wolves that are inside the church. I think that, first of all, there is the financial wolf. This is the person who realizes that that you can become fabulously wealthy off of religion. You can use religion to get into the back pockets of people, and you can grow wealthy by selling 
Jesus. And you see so many of these guys on Christian TV, and they're always selling stupid stuff or trying to sell stupid stuff to us, right? They've got, they've got bottles of water from the Jordan River. And for a love offering of $1,000, you can get this special water. It's dirty water, by the way, but it's special water. Or they've got, you know, uh, olive oil from the promised land. Or they've got prayer claws that they pray. You know, they've got this teaching that you've just got to get into your life. They're always trying to sell us stuff. And they're always trying to enrich themselves. There is, of course, also the sexual wolf. And we read about these guys sometimes as different leaders in the church are always being exposed. And there are guys in the church, I suppose women as well, and uh, they're, they're just, they're, they're there uh, because it is a potential harvest to satisfy oneself uh, sexually. And then there are controlling wolves. And there are people that they don't get their jollies from making money. They don't get their jollies from sexuality. They get their jollies from controlling people, manipulating people, and getting people to do what they want to do. And they tr- twist the scriptures to try and make it say how that you've got to submit and you've got to do what it is that they are telling you. Now, notice the method that they use here. Notice that Peter tells us that they will secretly now come in. They don't, they don't come in wearing name tags. Hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm a false teacher, so keep your eye on me. But rather, they come in, and they blend in quite well. And oftentimes, they can be patient for years and abiding their time. Oftentimes, disease can come into the body, and it can just lie dormant for years and years, and then it gets activated. And so they come in secretly. Now, notice what they do. They bring in. Now, this word bring in the Greek, fascinating word, it means to lay beside. And how often have we seen in recent times where you've got a great church, you've got a wonderful church, and they're, they're, they're a congregation of growing people. They've got a simple faith. They're just gathering together and celebrating Jesus, and they're just praying for one another, and they're just receiving a steady diet of just the simple teaching of the Word of God. And then eventually somebody... Uh, comes in and they start laying beside. All right, now, you know, I think what we're doing is great. It's wonderful. But don't you think that maybe there's an advantage if we maybe supplement what we're doing with what these guys over here are teaching and what these guys over here are, are proclaiming? And eventually what happens is, is that they're moving the church away from trust in the Scripture to where now, instead of receiving a steady diet from the Word of God, they're receiving a steady diet from the simple minds of men. Well, don't you think that this guy's got a lot of great things to say in this book that he's written? And don't you think that instead of studying what the apostles have said, maybe we should start studying what this author here has said? And slowly but surely, you're drifting away from that steady diet from the Word of God, and now you're paying attention to something else. This is why Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, he said, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, for you ignore the laws of God, and you substitute your own truth. That's what happened in first century Israel. Instead of, look, what did Moses say? 
What did Isaiah say? Now all of us say, well, you know, Rabbi so-and-so says this, and Rabbi so-and-so tells us that we should be doing this, and all of a sudden now, they're getting a steady diet of just the opinions of men, rather than these holy men that Peter talked about last time we were together, that were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. Now he tells us here that they are bringing in destructive heresies. That word, it means to divide. That's how it happens. You see it so often. They'll come in, they'll begin to strategize, and the word, it has the idea of dividing, and they begin to pick people off just one by one, one family after another. They're slowly gaining influence, and they're drawing families from the church instead of, look, what does the scripture say? Well, what does this guy say? Now, look, we're always going to have differences in the church. Right? We're always going to have a difference of opinion on how frequently we should take communion. There are churches, you need to take communion every time you gather together. God bless them. I pray that God blesses churches that believe that. There are other churches that they just think, well, look, Jesus said as often as you take this cup, as often as you take this bread, very specific. He's talking about something that came out of the Passover. How frequently did the Passover take place? Once a year. There are churches that say, no, no, you only take communion once a year. And I can understand that, and I pray that God blesses them. We're always going to have difference of opinion over styles of worship. We're going to have difference of opinion as far as how, how are the last days going to roll out? Is it pre? Is it mid? Is it post-trib? Is it no-trib? all. And, and we're going to have differences, and we, we need to give each other a lot of leeway on these kinds of subjects. But notice what Peter is talking about here. They are denying the Lord. You see, that's what we have to look at. What is their position with the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the entire shooting match. Jesus Christ is everything that we are to be focused on. Now, you remember Paul writing to the Corinthians, the second Corinthians chapter 11. He says, for if he who comes preaches, now notice, another Jesus whom we have not preached. That person that shows up on your doorstep and they're going to talk to you, they're trying to sell you a magazine and they're trying to talk to you about their Jesus. We must not assume, because they're using the same terminology that we are, that, oh, they're talking about the same, the same belief system. You need to say, all right, now, why don't you explain to me, when you say Jesus Christ, who exactly are you talking about, and what exactly are you claiming that he has done? Now, look, what is a cult? Now, the word cult, it just simply means a group of people that are gathered around something that they appreciate, that they love, that they are attracted to. We have Elvis cults, right? There are people, I don't understand this, but there are people that just get off on dressing up like Elvis, and they so look forward to once a year going to Las Vegas to the Elvis convention, right? We have, we have cult films where a film that doesn't do too well in the theater, and once it's released uh, to, to home viewing, then it begins to get, you know, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Nacho Libre, right, Princess Bride. Uh, these movies get a gathering around them where people can basically quote the entire movie, you know, by memory. Now, when we use the term, what we are talking about is a group of people that gather around the historic 
church's teaching on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And one of the trademarks that you're always going to see with these guys is that there is a devaluing of the work of Christ. Every time you leave a Bible study, every time you leave a worship service, you should walk away with a renewed appreciation and admiration for Christ. I can't believe how good he is. I can't believe how merciful he is. But these guys come along now. You see, as Peter tells us, they're denying Christ. They're denying the Christ that came for us. You, you look, for example, at Mormonism. Uh, 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 um, the prophet Bri- uh, uh, Brigham Young, he said, it is true that the blood of the Son of God was shed for sins through the fall and those committed by men. Yet men can commit sins which it, the blood of Christ, can never remit. Now, how does this line up with what the Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. All right? Now, somebody's lying. All right? Either Brigham Young is lying or John the Apostle is lying because they are saying two very different things. That's why in Utah, you, if, if you're going to be put to death out there, they still have firing squads because it's, a, it's a, a state heavily influenced by Mormonism. And Mormons believe that there are certain sins that you have to bleed for because the blood of Christ hasn't covered all of your sins. They also go on to say, there is no salvation without Joseph Smith. Every man and woman must have the certificate of Joseph Smith as a passport. I'm in big trouble. I do not have one of these. To their entrance into the mansion where God is, I cannot go there without his consent. Hear it, all ye ends of the earth, if ever you enter the kingdom of God. It is because Joseph Smith let you go there. There is a diminishing of attention being placed upon Christ. The historic church believes Christ is everything. And if you have got Christ, you have got everything. Look, this is what we believe. We believe that if you are a Christian and somehow you end up on a deserted island, and wouldn't we all right now just like to be on a deserted island, and you are on that deserted island with the Bible, because you are the disciple of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, the teacher, inside your heart. And the teacher will lead and guide you into all truth. And you can read your Bible on your own. You do not need a priest. You do not need a bishop. You do not need a pastor. You don't need an elder. You don't need an accountability partner. Now, God in his mercy will bring mature believers across our path and help us to move along in our faith. But you do not need all of that because the Lord wants to have a personal relationship with you. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. We do not believe that there is a special, super-duper spiritual category of believers that we are all dependent upon in order for us to make it into heaven. We have rather a super-duper Savior that has come 
and has placed his spirit in our hearts and he is at work guiding us into all truth. Now, those who want to bring us to that place of denying Christ, what will be their outcome? Notice he says there that there will be swift destruction upon them. Now notice verse 2. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth uh, will be blasphemed. All right, now these guys are very successful. Notice many will follow. Jesus said there are going to be many of these false prophets. They're going to deceive many. Just because you go by a big church does not necessarily mean that you're watching a move of God. Now, we pray that it is a move of God that's producing that, but, but these false teachers are these people that will slowly draw our attention away from Christ and lead us in directions that Christ does not want us to go. These guys are going to be very successful. Now, notice the, the, the fruit of all of this. Notice he says the way of truth will be blasphemed. These guys are going to cause the way of truth to be blasphemed. Again, uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible says the way of truth will be blasphemed because of them. New American Standard says because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. J.B. Phillips says to bring discredit on the way of truth. I mean, how many times do you see somebody putting the antics of these bizarre prosperity teachers uh, on Christian TV, you know, uh, putting them on YouTube. You know, the guy's taking off his sport jacket and he's waving it over the crowds and everybody's falling down. And then they start laughing hysterically. Nobody's told any joke at all. And they're barking like dogs and they're making animal sounds. Now, you work with a person that has spent the weekend watching these kinds of videos. And their opinion is what? They're nuts. They're crazy people. And then you meet up with them at work on Monday, and uh, hey, what'd you do over the weekend? Well, you know, our church had this thing. Go, oh, church, yeah, I saw something about church, right? And they now think that that somehow is you, right? And so you got to spend all of this time untangling that. No, 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 that, that's... That is not us. When I was growing up as a kid, there was, um, there was another kid. He was about five or six years uh, older than I was, beat me up a few times, uh, lived about two or three houses down from me. And uh, he went to work for the Journal Gazette. I I'm sure that he was there for many years. And some of you, if you read the journal, uh, you probably would recognize his name. And I ran into this guy. And, uh, and I said, hey, remember me? I lived down there. You beat me up a few times, you know? And, uh, and, and oh, yeah, yeah, how you doing? And, and so, you know, you're working at the newspaper. Yeah, I'm working. At the and then he said, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I, I pastor a church. And immediately he just launches. I mean, just immediately. You know what I hate about churches? I hate it when they do, you know, and he begins to talk about the toxic environment that oftentimes gets developed in churches and the hypocrisy and the, the manipulation for money in this. And he's just, he keeps naming these things off. And, and each time he names it off, I'm saying, you know, I, I'm with you, brother. I mean, I hate that. I just can't stand it. And he, like, what? And, and well, I also hate this. And I say, yeah, yeah, I hate that too. And finally, after about four or five of these things that he hates about the church, he stops and he says, what kind of church do you pastor, right? He just assumes that's what we all are. And this is the tragedy of what these false teachers are doing, that they are not only blaspheming the church, 
but they're blaspheming the Lord Jesus Christ. And how many people have a false idea about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done because of the crazy nonsense that they're seeing come out of these false teachers? Now notice finally verse 3 where he says, By covetousness they will exploit you. With deceptive words for a long time. Their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. I like the disciples' literal translation of this. And in greed, they will exploit you with fabricated words, for whom the judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Now notice, both King James... And the disciples, a literal translation, uses the word exploit there. Now, that word exploit, it means to make merchandise of. It means to use a person for selfish gain. They have no interest in seeing you grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have no interest in seeing you grow in your discipleship, but rather their view of you is that you are a stepping stone. They are using you for sexual gratification. They're using you to extract money from you. They're using you to control you in some way. It's not about you. It's not about the glory of Christ. It's about the organization. It is about the leaders of the organization. Now, we talked about the trademarks of the false teacher. One of the things that you're going to see is not only the devaluing of Christ, but you're also going to see a group that is preoccupied with money. Now, look. We have to talk about money from time to time, right? We have a missionary come in. Well, hey, let's, let's pray about supporting this guy. We have the, we have the Gideons come in. Hey, let, let's raise some money for these guys to give Bibles away. We talk about building issues and these kinds of things. You have to talk about money from time to time. But what these guys are doing, I mean, they're doing sermon series on you know raising money, and uh, they're just constantly talking about, come on, church, you've got to dig down deep and... You know, there's just all kinds of bizarre antics that they come up with to try and separate you and I from our money. You know, one of the evil things that I have seen, and I've even seen some legitimate churches go in this direction as well, where they will say to a congregation, hey, we're going to have an attorney come in. Everybody needs a will, right? We all agree we should all have a will. And uh, so we're going to have an attorney here, and he's going to help you lay out your will. And somewhere in that process, the church is figuring out a will, how to get themselves, or how how to figure out how to get themselves into your will. I think that is evil. I mean, that is one of the most private decisions that a husband and wife can ever make. And nobody should ever stick their nose into those kinds of issues in your life. But these guys know no shame. And they will do whatever they have to do to separate you from your money. Another thing you'll see, that questioning and doubting dissent... I mean, it is discouraged, and it will even be punished. You go up to one of their leaders and say, well, you know, you said in your sermon, you know, this and this, and well, where exactly in the Bible are you getting that from? And you will quickly realize they do not want pushback. And you're going you're gonna to be punished. You're, you're no longer invited to the important prayer meetings, right? You're, you're somehow on the outside, and you very quickly understand, keep your mouth shut, 
or bad things are going to happen. We also see that the, liter- the leadership dictates sometimes into the very details of your life. I mean, they are micromanaging everything and they just get off of controlling you. Very early on in my Christian experience, I went to a, an assembly where if you did not show up for midweek prayer meeting, you're going to get a phone call. That's all there was. And, and the phone calls would, of course, always be, well, hey, um, you know, didn't, didn't see you uh, there tonight. Just wondering, are you okay? And, of course, it, it comes with the idea that we're just checking up on you. But in reality, it's just a shot across your bow. Hey, we are noticing when you're not here, and we're going to call you on that. They're interested in control. The group's leaders are never accountable to any kind of authority at all. I mean, they sit on these thrones like little dictators, and they are not answerable to anybody. You're also discouraged not to read any material that doesn't come from the group itself, all right? The last thing we want in this organization are thinkers, all right? We want followers. And yet, what does the New Testament tell us? You test everything, and you only hold fast to that, which is good. You should take every sermon I preach as an absolute lie. And you should go home and tear it apart and try and prove that what I said was a lie scripturally. And only after you have proved it to be consistent with scripture should you hold on to that. Another thing that they do, there's just this elitist mentality, right? We know things that nobody else knows. If you want the real juice, you're going to be in this organization. Nobody has what it is that we have. Now, What Peter is telling us and what he is going to go on to tell us is that we don't mess around with this stuff. I think this is part of our problem as Americans. I mean, we're... We're nice people. For the mo- We've got a few jerks among us, but for the most part, you know, we, we don't want to offend, right? We don't want to hurt people. And, and that's fine as we are interacting with each other. We've got to give each other a lot of leeway to try and work out our own salvation. We've got, we got to be very patient with one another. But nowhere in the New Testament are we called to give patience to the false teacher that would draw us away from our devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. John writes in 2 John uh, verse 9 and 11, he says, anyone that wanders away and does not remain faithful to the teaching of Christ has no relationship with God. They're not saved. But those who remain in the teaching of Christ have a wonderful relationship with both the Father and the Son. So if anyone comes into your fellowship yet doesn't bring this teaching, you are not to consider him a fellow believer. Do not receive him into the house and do not speak greetings to him for the one speaking greetings to him shares in his evil word. Look, don't even say God bless you to these people. We don't want God to bless them, all right? We don't want them to prosper. We don't want things to go well for them. This is a very serious issue. Now, what was the teaching of Christ? John 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and nobody is going to get to the Father but by me. To be saved, what do you need? 
you need the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, the Apostle John makes it very simple for us. First John chapter 5, verse 12. He that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. Well, that's pretty easy, right? Every single one of us in here, we can understand that. If you have the Son, you have everything that you need. Everything that you need to get you from here to the presence of God and living eternally in the golden city of God. You have everything if you have the Son. We don't need to teach you secret handshakes, all right? We don't need to teach you, you know, secret, you know, super duper secrets that nobody else knows. No, we have the simple gospel. Simple gospel is, you got the Son, guess what? Praise God, you, you've got life. Now, you don't have the Son, ugh. Well, that's not good. You need the Son. But there's a simple fix to that. You just bow your knee, and you just receive Christ as the Savior. You place your trust in the finished work of Christ, and you make that wonderful discovery that now you have life in the Son. Now, somebody shows up that slowly begins to turn our attention away from the main thing, and takes us down some rabbit trail about, you know, the great pyramids of Giza and, you know, all the, you know, weird, crazy stuff that they want to, you know, come up with. Look, they need to be placed out of your church. Otherwise, they're going to ruin the wonderful thing that the Lord wants to do here just by simply believing what he has said in his word. So let's pray that God would be merciful to us Let's pray that we would be on high alert not to allow anything to derail us from simple faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you have not given us a complicated list of rules and regulations. and You haven't given us different levels that we have to somehow progress through before we really come to the knowledge of the truth. Father, I pray that you would keep us from the mistake of the Galatians that were removed from the simplicity of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would keep us in that place where it is just simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would create within us a heart of the Bereans. They wouldn't believe anything until they checked it out to see if it's consistent with your word. Lord, as we believe, we are getting, with each passing day, closer to the second coming of Christ. I pray that we would be your lambs that live life on high alert, that we would not allow any bogus church leader, religious leader, to come along and to remove us from the simple truth of the priesthood of all believers. I thank you so much that each of your dear sons and daughters that are here this morning, that this week you want to teach them personally, and you want to guide them personally, and you want to bless them personally. I pray, Father, that they would have a personal relationship with you and not a relationship with an organization. Lord, may we draw frequently this week to the wounded side of Jesus and just admire who he is and what he has done for us by his grace and mercy. For we ask these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.